Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osban, here with my friend and Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachad Moed Katan, daf Zion, page seven. Well, as much as I've been mentioning that the last few days we've been spending a lot of time talking about agricultural law, today we're going to take a pretty big departure from agricultural law, and we're going to learn about Sarat. And so the, we have here a Mishnah that is basically going to discuss, is a Kohen allowed to inspect a person uh, to see if they actually were declared that they have Sarat? So remember, the process of Sarat was you would see this thing on your skin, um, and you would really need the Kohen to basically, I guess, quote unquote, diagnose you um, or decide or declare is probably the better word there, uh, whether or not you actually had um, Sarat. And so this whole process is described in Vayikra chapter 13. Um, the person who has this, you know, this condition is called called a Mitsora. Um, and it's generally described as sort of having some type of, you know, area of skin which turns white in color um, and maybe also appears like either, you know, deeper than the surrounding skin. Sometimes it may have a white hair um, or it may have a a spot of natural skin in it. And so if you had sort of this patch of skin that didn't look normal, you had to basically have the coin come and examine you and the coin would have to determine whether or not you were, uh, whether or not you had so rad. And there were two types. We actually talked about this in Masacha Megillah. There's sort of two uh, types of mitzoras, right? One was the mitzora muchlat that we talked about, and one was the mitzora hasker. So the mitzora muchlat was basically when the coin, you know, sees the patch and says, "Oh, yeah, you've got saras. You are mitzora muchlat, right? You, you, you're, it's your confirmed, basically." And then we have the uh, mitzora hasker, which is that. It, it, it's not not all the evidence is there, right? What, however, the appearance of this area of skin looks, it's not completely clear that this person is, uh, you know, has sorat or, or is a mitzora. And so we call them a mitzora has scare. They basically have to wait for a seven day waiting period. And then at the end of those seven days, the coin would come back, basically recheck the person and, and examine again, re-examine them and see if it's sort of developed into a uh, full blown sorat or whether or not, um, and if, you know, it's still there, let's say, but it's still not full-blown, the Mitsora maybe would have to wait uh, another, you know, seven days. If by the end of the second seven-day period of being a Mitsora has scare, um, they still were not able to declare it, then the Mitsora would be uh, released. But if after any point after that, there's some any additional symptoms or the whiteness, you know, spreads or something like that, then the person would be declared a mitzora. So this could be after that 14-day waiting period. Um, but uh they um but they uh but they weren't in that Hesker period. They weren't in that sort of waiting period. Um and one of the things that's interesting is both the Mitsora Muchlat and the Mitz- and and the uh the um uh and the Mitsora Hesker, they're both tame, right? But they have different levels of restriction, basically. They don't, they don't, the, the, them being tummy doesn't manifest itself completely in the same way. Okay. So that was just a little bit of background there. So what, so again, so the question this mission is dealing with, can the coin come on Cholomoed and inspect a person? And again, I also just think it's interesting. We sort of went from agricultural activities that a person can do during Cholomoed to now a totally different type of activity. Rabbi Meir Omer, right? So Rabbi Meir says, Ro'ina right? 
lehakel. So a Kohen is basically allowed to inspect the, you know, the Tsaras on Cholomoid in order to give a lenient verdict. In other words, you know, if he's able to say this person doesn't have Tsaras, but not in order uh, to say that the person has Tsaras. So in other words, a Kohen is basically allowed to do this as long as he can declare the person Tahor and say that it's not Tsaras, but he shouldn't really say that a person is uh, tame. And the reason for this is the Mepharshim explained, which sort of makes sense, is that, you know, on Chalmoed, we have a uh, a mitzvah, the Samachta Bechagecha, right, that we're supposed to be happy uh, during this period of time. And, you know, basically, uh, you know, a person finding out that they have Sarad and they're tame, I wouldn't say that that's the way most people want to really spend their Chalmoed. This isn't something that would make a person Happy. So Rabbi Meir has this very interesting opinion where he basically says the Kohen sort of only should be there to declare that the person is Tahor, if it's basically going to add to their Simcha or add to their Cholomoid, but should not be there if they're going to declare him Tame. Um, and then um, uh, the Chachamim, Omrim, but the Chachamim feels differently, right? Lola Hakel, Lola Hakmir, right? A Kohen cannot, you know, basically uh, uh, shouldn't inspect or look at or examine Saras, right? either to be lenient or either to be stringent, right? Because basically the Chacham basically saying a Kohen has to make the right decision based on what his examination is of the Tzorat. And therefore, if the Kohen was doing it just to give a lenient, to be makel decision, right? Um, but let's say he needs to be machmer, he really should be machmer. So it's better to not do the examination at all so that the person wouldn't, so that the coin wouldn't have to declare a person tummy. So essentially, what the chachamim are saying is, you shouldn't do this type of examination on cholamoid um, because you can't go into the situation saying I'll only do it if I can be makel according to the way the Rabbi Mayor understands this. And then the Gemara begins by uh, bringing a brisa, which sort of expands this mishnah a little more. Right, Tanya, it's taught in a brisa. Rabbi Mayor Meroin had a negain lehakel. Right, a coin can basically look at the negaim, right? These lesions, right? On uh, Chalamoy to basically give, you know, to say that it's mekel, about Lola Hachmer, but not to say that it's to be stringent. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Lola Hakel, Lola Hachmer. Rabbi Yossi says, no, can't be to be mekel or to be machmer. Because if you want to sort of involve yourself with the person to make them lenient, then automatically, right? You also have to be able, you have to be willing uh, to say that you, you know, that maybe the person is also tummy and that it actually is Sarat, right? I'm a Rebbe. So Rebbe said, so now we skip to Rebbe Yehuda Hanasi. This is a few generations later. Nirin divrei Rebbe Meir Muskar. So he says, no, the words of Rebbe Meir, right, that we can make it le, for, you know, to be mekel, have to be only within the context of a mitzora misugar, right? A confined mitzora. Right, the Debre Rabbi Yossi b'Muchlat, but the words of Rabbi Yossi, right, that we don't do any type of inspection, have to be with the um, with the Mitzora uh, Muchlat, right. So what that means is that a coin doesn't examine a confirmed Mitzora on Chalamoid, right, whether to determine whether or not he's actually been healed from it. And so basically, Rabbi Yudanasi is basically agreeing with Rabbi Yossi, right, that once the coin examines this person right? He has to give a decision, right? But essentially what we're saying is, is that we don't want him, the only decision that he would need to be making would be one around 
a Mitzora Muchlat, a de- uh, already declared Mitzora, and would be whether or not to say that you were actually healed. And that's something that we're not going to do, um, that we're not going to do on Chalamoe. Um, and then the Gemara is going to go on to basically explain the dispute between the Machloka, between Rabbi Meir um, and Rabbi Yossi uh, a little bit more, right? Rav is going to say B'tahor, right? It's, it, it has to do with somebody who's Tahor, meaning somebody who's basically never examined. Kule ama lo pligi to lo chazule. Even Rabbi Meir would agree in that case that the coin wouldn't examine him on Chalamoid. The Hesker Rishon, right? Instead, we're talking about somebody who might be at the end of his first period of confinement. For you know, if we're talking about the first seven days to Kule ami lo pligi to chazule, even Rabbi Yossi would agree that the coin could examine him on Chalamoid. And so Rabbi has to basically say, Ki pligi, where do they disagree? The Hesker Shani, it's talking about. Uh, this second time of confinement. I'm not going to read the rest of the Gemara there. Um, I think just by itself, all of these issues of Mitzorah, the fact that it appears here, I just like the variety of topics that we're getting here, right? We did a deep dive into Shemitah, Kilayim. You know, now we're talking about Mitzorah. And I, I think it makes sense because again, everyday life goes on. And so like we sort of can suspend everyday life for the period of Chag. But once we get to Chalamoid, it's really sort of making a determination of like, you know, we got to start living our lives again. And what what activities can we do to reflect that and what activities can't, re, you know, can't to do that. But I also just love the concept of sort of not declaring a person tummy on Chalamoid because it sort of would ruin their chag. And, you know, it, it's obvious, but but the fact that it's articulated is also interesting. I think also <clears throat> there's a leeway to do that because the Kohen is the arbiter. Right, like it's not. There isn't exactly an objective reality. Some of it, there might there might be something that's um very clearly tarat. But if there's something that's borderline, the Kohen's decision is what makes it either tamei or tahor, as opposed to saying he's simply revealing or letting be known what's already there. The corollary, of course, to modern day uh, PCRs and rapid antigen testing and so on, you know, it's a little bit too close for comfort for me. But it's a kind of thing where. You know, I feel like there's all kinds of people who don't want to get the test because it will mess up their schedule. And of course, because it's not the same thing as a Kohen deciding a spiritual um, truth, let's say, you know, it becomes a little bit more complicated. I want to jump to the Gemara on Amad Bet, where we have, it, it speaks to exactly this question of how are people going to conduct themselves over Cholamoyed? So the question is, you know, for example, if the Kohen is going to come and dis- declare the person a Mitzorah, then what's going to happen is that that Mitzorah then has to then separate, go through a seven-day purification process. So the Gemara here says, He'd rather the person who is potentially a Mitzorah, potentially has Tzarat, he would rather stay with his wife, right? Meaning, as opposed to beginning the seven-day purification process, because as soon as he begins that process, they're prohibited from conjugal relations. And so then perhaps they should wait until it's just not cholamoid, not chag, but just when it's a regular chol, when it's a regular day afterwards. And then presumably the Kohen can do that, right? Like he doesn't have to come that day. He can come, you know, five days later or whatever, and it will be just as fine. So the Gemara goes on to say, la memra de muchlat mutar de tashmisha mita. Is it you know, does this all mean that somebody who has Sarat, you know, we know that he has Sarat, it just hasn't been declared, can that same person engage in conjugal relations? 
And the Gemara says, "In yes, yes, that person can." So we've got this breita that says that a mitzora who has started counting his seven days and he has to remain outside of his tent, that person cannot engage in conjugal relations. But and and the Gemara says, you know, the moment it's is it he's out of his tent, tent here referring to his wife. It's a euphemism to be the the home. The, the wife. So likewise, it says in Devarim, go say to them, go back to your tents, meaning go back to your wives, go back to regular family life. So Rabbi Huda says, well, that there's a verse in Yechezkel that says he should have to count for seven days, and that means that during those seven days, he again is prohibited from um, conjugal relations during those days of counting, but he's not prohibited, the couple is not prohibited during the days of confirmed tzarat, meaning it can be confirmed, but he can't begin the count until after the holiday. And there I think we see exactly this distinction that, like, can you just begin the count whenever you want? Perhaps not. But when it comes to this issue of there is a priority of maintaining the regular home life um, during the holiday, over the Cholamoid holiday. So the son of Rabbi Huda says, since we're talking about prohibiting conjugal relations during the seven days of counting, you know, before before he could go to the mikvah and so on, then we have a Kalvachomer. We have a we can understand just from logic that that same prohibition should apply for when he is, um, you know, confirmed to have Sarat. And this might be my intuitive thinking as well, right? Meaning the fact that we can prioritize the holiday over a confirmation of Sarat seems a little bit strange. The same way I say it's a little bit too close for comfort. People want to do away with a requirement to quarantine, let's say. But once you've got the requirement, doesn't it kick in? So Rabbi Chia answers this. He says, I deliberated this. I, I you know, brought this case before Rabbi Hudanasi. Rabbi Hudanasi, the same one that your data you've already quoted here. So what happens? He says, he said, meaning Rabbi Chia says before Rabbi Hudanasi, didn't you teach us that Yotam, the king Yotam, was born to Uziyahu? Uziyahu was the king of Yehuda, and he was he was a confirmed Mitzorah. So wasn't this this baby who became King Yotam, wasn't he born at that time? In which case it would suggest, according to this, that the that the person who has Sarat could in fact engage in conjugal relations. Of course, my question is, well, what about the nine months in between? Couldn't he have been purified in between? But fine, let's leave that and take the Gemara at its word. Rabbi Huda Nasi says back to him, he says, I also said this, meaning Rabbi Huda Hadassi agrees that somebody who is a Mitzor Mukhlat is able to engage in Tashmishamita, in contrast to Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Huda. Um, and then the Gemara goes on to discuss a little more precisely what is it that they disagree about, really. And the question is, you know, during the days of his counting and Zarat, um, um here, I'll just read it. But my commitment, 
gali, umay de lo gali, lo gali. So Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda says that the moment you have this prohibition of tashmisha mita during the days of counting, then you, again, that logic will say, well, all the more so you're going to have to be careful and avoid each other, let's say, during the time of the confirmed sarat. But, because that's considered to be a greater level of tuma. But Rabbi Yehuda says that when the verse was gali, when it was revealed, when it was taught, what that it also teaches what it did not reveal. Namely, the prohibition here is not to add that extra stringency, meaning it's only going to go according to what's explicitly stated in the Torah. And you don't use the logic here, even though the logic holds as good logic. It is a higher level of tuba, whatever. But the claim here, according to this view, is that you would not um, engage, you would not apply that stringency. And again, because there's uh, mitigating circumstances in terms of how they want to celebrate Cholmoyed. Um, I find this to be as practical a discussion of tzarat as perhaps as I've ever seen, right? Because it's very much about what's going to happen at home when you've got one person who's got the contagion, let's call it, right? Meaning it's not really per se contagious in that same way, but it's tzarat and he needs to be in seclusion. And yet what happens then to the family life? What happens to the marital bed? And how are they supposed to handle that? Um, it's interesting, I think, that there's a different, there's a potentially different answer for Cholomai than there is for the rest of the year. Yeah, and I agree with you. This presented, usually when we have these passages about Sarad, it's so theoretical about like what became Tame, what got touched, what didn't get touched. This like presented it in from start to finish, from the Mishnah even through the passage you read, like in a much more practical way. Like what was it like to have to live with a person, you know, either who hasn't been declared yet or has been declared and how did it practically, you know, uh, impact the other people around, which I think is an aspect of Tarat I never really thought about. Because when you really read it in Vayikra, you sort of just think about the individual who's afflicted with it, but then you realize, oh no, it impacts their family. Right, right. And again, like if I need to bring this to life, you know, the fact that I know, I don't know how many people who have different family members isolated in different rooms and the question of how much contact contact can there be. Again, I'm not saying at all that COVID is Sarat, but I'm just saying that it's not as, I don't have to reach with my imagination to understand seclusion in the same way that I might have otherwise. Yes, but if this, if you had learned this, myself, if you had learned this stuff before COVID, I actually think you would have understood it differently. Like in other words, the idea of isolation we all understand in a different way. So, you know, I, I think that's a fair point. That's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us, and all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.